Hello and welcome to the first SX podcast. Today we're delighted to have with us the multi-award winning writer Matthew Todd. Matthew worked at Attitude magazine for over 20 years and was the editor for 10. He's also a playwright and author of the acclaimed Straightjacket, Overcoming Society's Legacy of Gay Shame. Recently, Matthew has published a new book, Pride, the story of the LGBT equality movement. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to Edinburgh and welcome to Waverly Thanks Care. Thanks very much. Nice to be back. Um, so I thought we'd start off talking about your new book that's just been published. Um, the book itself is a significant archive and from going through it's filled with incredible images and texts covering about 50 years of the LGBT historical events, activism and celebration. Can I sort of ask you how did you begin and what brought you to writing this book? Um, actually it was because of the previous book actually, Straightjacket. There's a chapter in Straightjacket about the 80s, about mm-hmm. when I was growing up and about how awful it was in Section 28 and all the horrific homophobia in the press. And when I was going around promoting um, Straightjacket I was just surprised by all the young people who'd say to me oh my God, I had no idea how shocking it was, how bad it was, how unpleasant everybody was, to say the least. And I was really shocked by that because it's so vivid in my, in my mind. It didn't, doesn't feel like mm. it was that long ago. And so I was just interested in the fact that, you know, people don't know the history and people do need to know the history. I mean, like people, uh, history mm-hmm. is important, full stop, to anybody um, in, in, in all different types of people. So um, I just thought it would be a good opportunity with it being the Stonewall 50th anniversary to just uh, cover the history. And, and Culture and Books as well, who got quite a lot of LGBT staff there, they were mm-hmm. really keen to do more uh, queer books so um, yeah. yeah it was a good it was a good opportunity that's great because I don't seem to remember myself seeing much in the way of an archival document like this you know, well it's some... funny because they kept saying to me oh, it was the first book of its kind I was thinking well, it, can't, it, it can't be but I mean in terms of I mean there, there actually are there's another one another really great book an American book I would plug it but I can't remember its name <laughs> um, the publishers would go mad but it, it, it's an American one you can't it's not widely uh, available here but so I don't think there's a, there's a huge amount and I think just bringing it together mm-hmm. I, you know I, I'm very proud of it I think it's great but it is an overview so it doesn't go into huge depth, but no, I, but yeah. but but I, I was really passionate about making sure there were lots of stuff in there that I, that people d- didn't know, and I thought I knew it all actually when I came to researching it. I thought, oh, it's going to be really easy to write, but there was so much stuff, mm-hmm. detail and names and events and different people that just I just think are completely invisible to the culture. That yeah. it's the mainstream culture, of course, but even even to us, I think you know, like for me, my gay journey was looking back to the eighties. You know, when I was at Attitude, it was all about, oh, we just come through this period of the 80s and all the pop stars. But it obviously goes, you know, Mm. far further back than that. Mm. And also with Stonewall, I think we don't really know much about Stonewall. It's just, oh, there was a riot and they kicked off. And now the kind of the erasure of trans people and people of colour, that's being talked about a bit more. But there's so much more to the whole story. Yeah, Yeah, because I really enjoyed how it's it's not a sort of weighty tome of a historical document. Mm. It mixes a lot of pop culture, films, music, and it really sort of charts... Which I can sometimes see is the sort of the gay experience can be a very transient one. It's very much about events, music, things that are very difficult to sort of hold on to or solidify. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why this book has actually made a massive difference. You mm-hmm. know, to actually see it all so. together and yeah. see how our journey has been over the last fifty years. I'd noticed that the book contains a number of personal testimonies from people like Maureen Duffy, Nan Golden, Paris Lees, and Jake Shears. How did you decide on who to approach, and how did people respond? Uh, quite a lot said no or didn't even answer people had put on the cover of attitude which was really annoying um, mm. but that's just the way it is I mean it's, it's not like there was a you know there's not it's not there's never a huge budget for, for books full stop let alone mm. LGBT books so it's not like we were paying people um, you know a fortune to have this, to, to, to write something but um, it was just people like I wanted to include some celebrities because I think celebrities ha- have been key 
but also um, more to focus on real people on the ground who, who have been affected by this journey and who have contributed to it. So uh, I was lucky enough to um, sit next to Judy Shepherd, Matthew mm-hmm. Shepherd's mum, and, and, and uh, also uh, Dennis, uh, his father. Um, at an event, and they were just absolutely lovely. It was a real, it was just so moving to to, to meet them, and just got on with them really, really well. So I, I said to Judy, "I'm doing this book. Would you mind doing it?" And it's just such. She's been so important in in, in American, yeah. the American story. You know, going around to schools after what happened to her son Matthew, um, and people like Maureen Duffy, who I didn't know about until a few years ago. I'm ashamed to say, and you know, it's understandable. I'm sure yeah. most of the people listening might know, but you know, she was the first lesbian in British public life to come out in the media in the, in the 60s to you know to push for the legal changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like incredible people that have mm-hmm. been really key and heroic and Maureen's you know in her 80s now and you know she's this kind of you know very unassuming lovely old uh, lady and you'd never know that she was so pivotal and, and you know it takes bravery now for people to come out but to come out in the 60s sure. when there was no one yeah. I mean it's just incredible it's really a humbling thing that some of these people would, would consider writing for the book. Yeah, and it's great to see these people being put into the context and being shown again as to how, how much effect they had for us. Yeah. Um, I, the part, parts of the book that I really liked myself were the timelines, because I always, for some reason, it's something I gravitate to when I'm flicking through a book, and I love seeing how things have developed, such as the legal issues and the trans issues that are mentioned. Is there any specific part of the book that you really enjoyed researching or, or finding out about that you hadn't before? For some reason, I think the, the history of the, the 60s was really interesting to me because I'd always been brought up thinking, reading that the Stonewall riots happened because everyone was so pissed off about the death of Judy Garland. Um, I can say naughty words on here, can I? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and, and I do think, you know, she died a week before in London and she was buried the night before. And I do think that, 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 that certainly that would have heightened things a bit. Mm-hmm. But just learning about the history, the context of the continual riots, the mafias hold over all the bars, but also the fact that the obvious thing when you think about it, the 60s was such a kind of dramatic and, and quite a violent decade. You know, mm-hmm. with the, the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, JFK murdered in 1963. Um, you know, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, the Black Civil Rights Movement, feminism, all of these things, these really intense things where I think people realised you don't create change just by asking for it nicely, that you yeah, have to really... Given, yeah, sense, you have to yeah. get off your arse and really, really fight for it. And, mm-hmm. and I think just that by, by the time that Stonewall happened, people were ready for real change and were seeing it happening in lots of different areas and, and thinking, well, well, we need this change mm-hmm. too. And Absolutely. I think that's why it happened, essentially. That's great. Um, I'd like to turn now to your previous book that you published, uh, Straight Jacket. Yield. And uh, published in 2016. And when it came out, it caused quite a storm, including among my own peers who were reading it as well. Could you tell for those very few people who might not have read it um, what it's about? why you wrote it, and how the reception's been since publication. Um, it's about uh, LGBTQ mental health uh, and about um, the problems and the things we absorb from culture, from growing up, kind of being told that it's not okay to be who we are. Um, I wrote it because I was... I think actually for my entire journey, really, I think, I mean, without sounding too pretentious, but it kind of feel like it's a culmination of, of my own life and experience mm-hmm. of just, just from realising it was very different when I was five or six, realising I was gay when I was ten or so, uh, all of that horrific time that I lived through in Section 28 in the media, and then coming out to gay bars and thinking, expecting it to be this u- utopia of everyone together and everyone really happy, <laughs> everyone really happy. I don't know why I'm laughing, but it's just so not like... It was not, it's not like that, because there are parts of it that are like that, and it, mm-hmm. it was great yeah. in lots of ways. You know, I had an amazing time. 
on the gay scene. But you know, the very first time I went to a gay bar, someone was really, really, really horrible to me for no reason whatsoever. Wow. Um, and it was, de- was devastating, actually. Because that can really affect you. 17 or 18, yeah. You're sort of trying to sort of find your family yeah. or your tribe. And that no, another friend of mine was raped the first night he went to a, to wow. a, to a, a gay bar. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of stories like that. And, and having friends who were talking about self-harm and being very self-destructive. I remember a young man, a really good friend of mine, when I came out saying to me, um, I'm just a piece of shit. I, I deserve to get HIV. I'm definitely going to get it. I deserve it. I mean, I, t- I just deserve it. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, babes, what's going on there? And I, I didn't know, didn't understand any of the context of any of this. It was really upsetting. And how do you help? How do you say, well, no, you don't. You know, no one deserves it. And da 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 um, and then when I went to Attitude, it just felt like there it continued this streak of kind of... I don't want to make it sound really bleak and awful, because it wasn't really like that in the sense that, you know, I was there, I'd been at Attitude for a long time, so it wasn't like you walked in and it was carnage, but there was just a, a lot of us struggling, and mm-hmm. problems, people with problems with alcohol, people with problems with drugs, drugs, compulsive sex kind of sometimes getting in the way of people's working lives and, yeah. and stuff. And just a lot of problems, basically. And then, you know, over the years, there was a suicide of somebody who worked in the office, which I write about in the book. Um, and just realising that basically there's there's some really big problems. And then the drugs problem, which kind of really exploded, kind of actually, as I was really writing the book. I wrote about, I wrote about this whole subject in 2010 in Attitude when people weren't really talking about LGBT mental health and it was still considered to be a taboo. And people said, you can't say this. You know, we've been fighting against this idea that that we have mental health problems. But I think that's a separate thing, you know, being LGBT has been deemed as being a mental health problem in itself. When that's not, but that's actually part of the cause of some of the things I write about in the straitjacket, which mm-hmm. is that we absorb all of this stuff. How can we not when everyone's saying, you know, you're not okay, you're not okay in, from every area in society. Yeah. And it's about how that manifests basically. And, 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 and addressing it, and, I, and it is quite an angry book because I was really angry when I wrote it because no one was talking about it. But then also talking about how, how I've tried to work way, my way through it and, and how I think other people can get better in it. The reaction has been amazing. You know, just I get I still get messages every week from people saying to me, you've changed my life, you've saved my life. I don't, I hate, I don't mean to sound like I'm on an ego trip, but I'm not. It's completely over, uh, overwhelming. And I, I, and I don't really connect to it because it, it's painful to me that so many people can relate to it because it's it says speaks to the fact that so many of us have gone through this stuff i remember there's a really lovely message i got from someone saying my mum and dad really want to thank you for me getting into recovery because they were worried that i was going to die and now i'm kind of dealing with some of my issues so um yeah it's been amazing that's great i mean we find it certainly our team at sx we deal constantly with people with very similar, if not the same, issues coming into our clinics and coming into our one-to-one peer support. And we do find that the reason that the book has really resonated for us is that it looks at very much, to coin the term holistically, it looks at everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one thing. Like you were saying, we've, we've also produced literature to, for health professionals to say, if someone who's LGBT comes to you, it's not because they're LGBT mm-hmm. necessarily. There could be other things happening in their life. Mm-hmm. And also, so it's allowed us really to almost feel a bit more confidence about saying, yeah, we need to look at the whole picture here. We need to look a lot more. And it's not just about the alcohol or it's not just about the sex. It's actually there's a whole lot more going on here. Well, you put that very well, actually, yeah, because I think, uh, yeah, part of the problem with with all of health for everybody, actually, 
actually is if you go to the doctor, your GP say, I've got a problem with drinking. And they go, oh, well, why are you drinking so much? And how many are you drinking? And da 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 mm-hmm. And they just focus on the alcohol. I have learned in recovery, because I don't drink anymore for, for about five years, it's not really about alcohol at all. It's about what's underneath. And it's exactly the same thing when you strip back, <clears throat> excuse me, people with eating disorders or drug problems or people with compulsive sexual problems. And I know that's controversial for some people, but people who identify that way. It's always the same stuff. It's, uh, you know, low self-esteem, feelings that you're not good enough, you're not enough. Um, and that just results in kind of self-destructive mm-hmm. thoughts and yeah. self de- that then become self-destructive behaviour. And it's about numbing that. And a lot of it's about anxiety as well. I think anxiety is the key kind of like fuel to all of this stuff. Yeah, we are saying quite a lot of that coming through the clinic as well. People mm-hmm. that are finding at different parts of their lives that they find that they're unable to sort of separate or pick things apart and priorities getting lost and... And, and it seems to be we're trying to work out where that's stemming from and how, mm. how it is we can actually help people get focused again and mm. about being able to live a healthier life kind of thing. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard, it is hard. But it's great, I mean, yeah, I mean, I do see now more and more people who are dealing with problems and facing them. And sometimes it can you can change really quickly and sometimes it takes a bit longer, but you do see if people stick at it. It does really transform people's lives. I've seen people like go from the most bleak place where they're really really in a bad place to literally turning their lives around achieving things they never thought they could finding new hobbies new friends new relationships it's it's really amazing that's amazing something that resonates certainly with myself and friends is the use of alcohol or the overuse of alcohol mm-hmm. it's, it's brought out in the book as mm-hmm. well and for many there are few places to socialize or meet men other than we would say is the commercial gay scene mm-hmm. the gay bars and the gay clubs um it almost feels that we're made to have this connection with alcohol because it's how we socialise. I mean, can you see any solutions or alternatives to how we are sort of engaging with the scene at the moment? Um, well, it's inter- well, it's hard for me, to be honest with you, because I, I don't drink anymore. I used to be out on the gay scene all the time every night in my 20s, and I don't drink anymore, so I very rarely go to any bars or clubs. I mean, even when I sometimes want to pop into gay clubs or gay bars, which I do very occasionally, I, I still get that, oh, God, this is really mm. exciting, the music, dancing, the people are flirting, it's uh, who knows what's going to happen. But... Um, I mean, I have found a real sense of gay community by going to recovery meetings and, and, and for the first time ever really engaging with LGBT people, older, younger, men, women, whatever, um, in, in a more, in, in a healthier way, which isn't about like, what can I give to you? What can you give to me? It's about just relating to people as human beings. I would do this event in London called A Change of Scene. There's my friend who's a therapist and um, it's just a discussion group for gay and bi men. And it's amazing because... You, you always get, we have 40, 40 or 50 people at every session, you always get people say, oh my God, I'm, I've been out for 25 years, I've never really had a discussion with other gay men like this. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying people should never go to bars or clubbing, and I'm sure younger people, it's, it's, it's completely, that's just a, what a lot of people do, isn't it? But there just needs to be something else. And mm-hmm. I feel like the commercial kind of explosion in the 90s where kind of people realised, oh, the pink pound, and, you know... We are people that have a certain amount of money to spend, so suddenly they, they all liked us, and gay bars started opening everywhere. That, you know, helped to, to a degree, in the sense businesses suddenly started thinking, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, they should treat us nicely um, or better. But it's it's not the final answer. I think this is a progression about coming out of, like, the shadows and, mm-hmm. and coming out, literally, and then, you know, and I think moving away from bars and clubs just to being, like, fully, fully-fledged fully human beings rather than, like, these kind of, like, people that come, like, vampires that come out that only go to gay bars in the night. You know what I mean? And, I, yeah. and actually, I don't mean to make light... I'm not making light of that because actually some people can only do that. There are some mm-hmm. people in certain yeah. communities or families where, you know, they're so... 
uh, nervous about being out or what that would mean that you know it can be that, that people only do feel safe going to like gay safe spaces so um yeah, I definitely think things are changing for the better, but it's we're not we're not there yet. Yeah, because it's something that we've talked about in the office that um, certainly at the older group of us who, when we first came out, it was the bars and the clubs it was literally the only access mm. you could have to the gay community, and so it was normally you would be eighteen or around going drinking, blah blah blah. But we're realizing now because of legislation changes and schools being far more open, that we're now seeing younger and younger people coming out as gay, bisexual, trans. And so there needs to be places for younger people to congregate yeah. that is not the bars, which can be a very sexualized area. Yeah, so it's totally. almost like we're realizing that there's now a generation developing who are de- dealing with their identity prior to socializing in that mm. sense. So we're kind of wondering if these guys will, or, and girls and non-binary people will be able to sort of develop new ways of socializing. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I mean, I, I think the internet is kind of like, has good sides and bad sides, but one of the best sides is just that young LG, young people can see that, you know, young LGBT people exist. And I think that's an amazing thing. And, and you know, I think it's difficult because we don't, we only often hear about the experience of people in schools where there are positive policies and who invite kind of groups like Stonewalling or people like yourselves or whatever in, into schools, whereas lots of schools don't do that. But it's definitely true, like you say, that, yeah, I see, like, young people coming out earlier and earlier in schools. My sister-in-law's a teacher, and they've got trans students and gay students. Um, and I think that's a really positive thing. I remember at the Brit School in, in South London, where I went to and I was researching the book, they had this amazing thing where they have a, a kind of LGBT uh, safe space. I think it's once a week or once a fortnight where LGBT students or those questioning or, or supportive, so you don't, you know, you're not outing yourself if you go can go to this session at lunchtime just to chat and hang out and to talk and discuss things and just feel safe, you know, and feel like they can develop an identity which isn't just about how attractive they are and whether mm, they can pick people yeah. up, which is still, like, a really key thing. Because, obviously, people have moved on to apps now and online and, you know, I, I've used apps myself. Uh, you know, I'm not a saint or anything like that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we're not always particularly nice to each other on those apps and that's a real problem. I, you know, I think I think someone was telling me, actually the photographer Rankin, who really loves straight jackets, amazing, he's straight, and he, he <laughs> really loves, he's got, he works with so many gay people, he loves the book, and he buys it for, like, people, everybody that's meets. Amazing. It's really incredible, yeah, yeah it's absolutely amazing. Um, and he was saying, there's some research about social media apps, and I think Grindr came out on top as one of the ones that, that makes people the most unhappy after they've, after they've used it. And I think that's very similar, you know, for all of, not just gay apps, you know, Instagram, Facebook, there's so many studies now which show people go on there because they want to feel connected and actually what they, they, they come away feeling more alienated and, and less than other people. I mean, I have to completely delete or unfollow people on Instagram with, who, who, who post too many pictures of themselves looking amazing and shirtless. Not that they shouldn't do that. If that's what they want to do, that's fine. But if I keep seeing that, Mm-hmm. It depresses me because mm-hmm. I don't have a body like that, and I don't want to be completely reminded constantly that you know this, these are the values. You must look this way. You must be that way. And so I try and surround myself with people who don't value me for yeah. those reasons. Yeah, leading on from that, because you mentioned quite specifically in the book about the choice of covers for attitude, mm. and it was fascinating. I might be wrong here, but was it the Stephen Fry issue was the lowest? Sold? It was at that time, and I always worry, think, oh God, Stephen Fry must feel awful that I go around saying that. But it is, and it wasn't about the fact that it was Stephen Fry, it was just about because actually people love him, he's got millions of Twitter followers. It was just about the fact that 
what people this is kind of the biggest pressure I had at the magazine was that um, you know, people come to it because they want all those kind of sexy shirtless bodies that sell magazines of all kinds across the world and they also moan about the fact that you're not doing regular normal people and I remember someone saying to me at an event you'd never put Stephen Fry on the cover would you you're a body fascist so we <laughs> did put him on the cover yeah. and he sold really really badly um, and my boss shouted at me um, but it was this constant co conflict, you know. Someone said to me once, they had a, Ben Cohen, the rugby player, shirtless shoot we did with him, and someone said to me on the phone, why have you got Ben Cohen on the cover of the magazine? He said, well, that is the reason I bought it, I suppose. And, you know, that says it all. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's complex. It's a really yeah. complex. And I did lots of, lots of covers that weren't like that. I continued to do them, even though my boss shouted mm -hmm. at me, and even though, like, they were saying to me, why are you doing these things that aren't selling well? Mm -hmm. um, but I continued to do it because I thought it was important. But yeah. Because we find it something similar because we do a lot of campaigns and they involve faces and bodies of other men, mm. human beings. And we have had the same thing. We get feedback that says, why are you using models? Why are you using stock pictures? Why are you using men without their t-shirts on? Mm -hmm. So we have done, from now on, we did a photo shoot last year and we're doing another photo shoot this year with members of a community. Mm. And I suppose in the way that we're discussing this with you... Unlike a magazine where you can see when you've a drop in sales, mm -hmm. for a charity where we are trying to encourage people to contact us, I would be concerned now about if we weren't using models and shirtless people, whether people would not be contacting us. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a real sort of paradox for us to it's know. Just, it's human nature, use. isn't it? Like, I, I completely want to see real people and normal people, but, you know, when I look at some of the sexy covers we did, I think, oh my God, that's so hot. It's amazing. We're all human beings, aren't we? You know, women, men, gay, straight, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's 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 hard. It's 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 complicated, I suppose. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you about, as well as the alcohol that's mentioned, there's a lot about chemsex, or there's there's stuff about chemsex, and we're seeing that increasing in Scotland as well. And we're working with people who are either in control of, they believe to be in control of their chemsex and just being monitored, or people are looking to to stop using drugs like that. Um, we're kind of wondering about. We noticed roughly at the same time as when chemsex was developing, there was a lot of bars because the property prices, and it's a it's much, very complex picture, mm -hmm. but things were closing and things were changing. And we wondered if the, the dark rooms, the back rooms have been replaced by the parties. And I don't know if you saw any of this happening. Yeah, I, I think probably that that is true. Yeah, there's a whole kind of complex evolution in London about kind of after hours clubs. And, and I totally get it, you know, the why you'd want to be out till four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning, think, I want to carry on, I want to carry on. And so those kind of clubs opened, which were very much about drugs, and then they started clamping down on drugs because of the licensing and the police and all the rest of it. So people would then take the drugs home and have parties at home, which would then evolve into sex parties. Um, and again, you know, it's not about being moral or whatever. It's just, there's just so many people, so much damage that's coming from that. I mean, and it's just, I've got genuinely completely so far beyond having lost count of people that have gotten into trouble, people that have lost jobs, you know, people that have come to me and said, can you help me with my friend? He's 24, he's uh, become, uh, become HIV positive, tested positive for hepatitis C, he's tried to kill himself three times. I mean, it's just, that is this kind of, uh, very, I'm sure it's not dissimilar to some of the things you see here, and people making suicide attempts at clinics. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And mm. it does actually, actually reminds me about how upsetting and, and makes me angry you know, that I still feel like as a community we're not really addressing this stuff properly. There's so, you know, so much of the of the, cult, the culture is just kind of like fabulous and glitter and kind of surface stuff. And I get it because, you know, I think sometimes we need that after what we've gone through. But 
you know, I know we don't want to put out these negative messages, you know, to to for people that don't like us, but people are really suffering, and, and mm. there needs to be other ways of kind of engaging with one another. Yeah, because I found myself when I was looking, I had to time check the book again because 2016, and the, one of the things I was trying to think has much happened really since 2016, even globally, mm. and I mean many things have happened, including presidents and things like that. But I was just wondering, preps now in the mix. It's mentioned a couple mm. of times very early on mm. as as it's just arrived kind of thing. Mm. But it's been in Scotland now for two years under the NHS to, for certain criteria. Mm. And it's not yet in England yet, still trial period's going on. Mm. And I find myself wondering, after reading that and also the knowledge that we have, whether PrEP has altered or changed or worsened or that kind of situation. Because it might be less about HIV, mm. which was a significant mm. part of these after parties. Mm. I'm wondering if... Has anything changed in that sort of sense? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know. I mean, you know, I think it's amazing that prep is, is contributing to bringing down HIV infection rates. That's an amazing thing, but also there is some dishonesty about kind of the way it's used. You know, I remember when I when I first was heard heard about it being talked about. It was about like oh, it's another thing. Is is it's a backup to condoms. So we're encouraging people to use condoms and to use prep, and that's the way people are using it. You know, and the critics were saying people are going to go out, you know, just going crazy and just ditching condoms and having as much sex as possible. And everyone was saying, no, 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 no. And, and that is what's happening for, for a lot of people. I'm not even making a judgment about it. I'm just like, because I totally get it. You know, it's, it's, it's understandable, isn't it? Especially after this kind of horrendous nightmare of, of, of AIDS, you know, for the last 20, 30 years. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I don't really know. All I know is that I just see a lot of kind of um intense behavior and you know as a lot of my friends are you know talking about having more stds and and things like that but i know there are studies that say that doesn't happen anecdotally it seems to be that my friends on prep are are experiencing that but again you know i mean i'm just i'm I'm glad that people aren't contracting hiv at the numbers that they were and we need to bring that down even more so um who knows, you know, what what, what it, it's doing. I mean, these are very changing, kind of changeable times, sure. aren't they? Everything's changing so quickly. Absolutely. I just want to check something with you, because I noticed my copy of the book says How to Be Gay and Happy is the Trapline, mm. but that changed. Mm, changed for the paperback. Um, okay. Well, I got a cu- we got a couple, of, a couple of criticisms, not many. I mean, like, when I was writing the book, everyone was saying to me, oh, you're going to be like, you know, everyone's going to hate you for writing this book. Um, and I haven't really had that at all. I've had nothing but positive positive reactions. There was one. There was a, a two about two or three tweets. People saying about that, and there was one um, review we got just saying about um, how depressing it was. And you know, but the thing is, you know, I say very early on, it's it's not a book. Uh, it's not a book like a coming out book, like a guide to being gay and hooray, isn't it wonderful? Now you're part of the family and do this and do that. And this is all the great things. It's not about that. It's more, it's actually probably, I mean, I know lots of young people do get stuff out of it, but I'd say it's really actually more for older people mm-hmm. who have come out and, you know, are living their lives. It's about the problems, you know, it's not a, a just about, um, you know, the kind of simple, kind of easy answers. And I think maybe. We were thinking that How to Be Gay and Happy, which was the original subtitle, made it sound a bit more like a self-help book when it's mm. it's kind of part self-help book, but it's kind of State of the Nation, part memoir. And it is, it's a really hard read. You know, it was really hard. It was really upsetting to write. Um, so we thought the new uh, subtitle maybe was just a bit more reflective of what it's about. Okay. Um, That's great. Um, I was going to ask you what you're working on now. 
Where is the future with you? Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm really involved with like uh, climate change activism and Extinction Rebellion because I just think that's the, that. Is, I mean, we're just screwed basically, and it's really terrifying. And the whole narrative in the media's been the media's been so rubbish at reporting it. We knew about it 30 years ago. There's been loads of people, journalists, saying, "Oh, it's not true. It's not true. It's it's a lie." Most of whom are influenced by far right think tanks funded by oil and coal companies. Um, and I think it will be the thing that destroys gay rights, and I don't think it's going to be very, very far, far away because, you know, David Attenborough the last year has talked about the collapse of civilization being on the horizon, and it's civilization that enables us all to get on. It's certainly mm. civilization that has enabled LGBT people to to get gay rights. There is no point having gay marriage if there's no food in the supermarkets and people are fighting in the streets. And we are talking about a period of, you know, if we don't stop this, a period of really well, I say period, it's going to become incredibly violent and people like me are not going to survive it. I don't think trans people are going to survive it. Anyone, there's, when, 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 um, when the, the day that gay marriage came in, in the, the Telegraph did a piece about it and I remember looking under, underneath on the message board and there were people saying, people, the vast majority saying how disgusting and awful and terrible it was and people saying we need a civil war to stop this. There are a lot of people out there who really hate us and they're held back by law, by the fact that if they, are to, if they were to hurt us, they'd take a big gamble, they'd probably get arrested and they'd probably get in trouble for it. Once civilization starts collapsing, they'll be able to do those things. And that's when, when someone like David Attenborough says the collapse of civilization and society is on the horizon, I just think we need to take it seriously because he's not a lefty like me. He's not a left, kind of loony lefty. He is socially quite conservative. Do you know what I mean? And the yeah. scientists are screaming at us. I mean, I was reading a report from Australian scientists, a leading climate scientist. She's a woman who goes home in tears now from the research because they're, they're really frightened. And I don't think anyone's taking it seriously enough. And I think this year, you know, we've had a, a, a record temperature in February in the UK, 71 degrees. That's the summer temperature in winter. We've just had the, the hottest day on record. This July has just been confirmed as the hottest month on the pla in, the pla in, in the modern planet's history. We're in deep shit. And uh, mm -hmm. to me, everyone should make that the priority because, you know, there's no, no point otherwise because everything else kind of happens within... The planet, people talk about the planet and the environment like it's like, well, there's tax, there's immigration, there's this, there's that, there's gay rights, there's the environment. No, no, everything else. It's like being on a boat. If the boat sinks, you're fucked, aren't you? Excuse my language. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yeah. So I'm going on yeah. about it because I'm, I'm genuinely absolutely terrified. I mean, I'm really frightened about what's I mean, happening. That sounds like should give a call to action for the LGBTQ people listening to this. Absolutely. If and their rights are threatened by the environment, we need to fight for the environment. I've, yeah, I, I've written a, um, I, I think that's a real problem that we've, we're too focused on just things that we can considered to be just LGBT specific, like for, for instance, the health service, you know, if we, we use that, I've certainly used that, sexual health services are, are, are being cut, which we disproportionately rely on. Um, you know, it's important to understand that other things affect, affect us too. And for every single person on this planet, climate change is the most important issue mm -hmm. that there is. There's nothing else more important. You know, David Attenborough says it's the most, the biggest threat in thousands of years. That means ever. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so, like, yeah, we really need to raise the alarm. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting us know your views on these points. Thank you. Um, thank you for being with us. Thank you for coming to Edinburgh to talk to us. It is greatly appreciated. Thanks for having um, me. Thank you. Uh, I'm Scott Baxter, and this is a podcast created by SX Scotland. Sex, health and well-being for men who have sex with men. SX Scotland is a service provided by Waverley Care, Scottish charity number SCO 36500. To find out more about our services at SX, please visit our website www.s-x.scot. 
For other services provided by Waverley Care, please visit www.waverleycare.org.